0: afternoon everyone welcome back to another episode of spark your fire it's your friday wrap again your favorite segment as always i'm sure probably the only segment at the moment too because uh just just jazz has been so busy at home homeschooling isn't it jazz
1: uh it's tough job mate (laughs) (laughs) for the first week it was yeah it's a week's lockdown fine we'll suck it up right but now it's going to get extended. It's, well, it's already been extended oh, for it's another not... week, and then it probably will get extended for longer the way it's going. So <laughs> why Victoria? You New South Wales people, uh, you guys are lucky. I almost would try to give you guys
0: a hard time. That's why. So then we've got John here with us as well. John, how are you doing?
2: Hey, guys. Hey, guys. So I, as I understand, so Jazz is back in lockdown. So that means Jazz has been wearing the same pair, pair of tracksuit pants for 15 months now um that's true but
1: yeah sad that we are in lockdown um but it is what it is no point uh complaining when you can't do anything
0: yeah yeah keep keep the optimism though i mean that's the whole idea that we tried i mean yes even though it's a lockdown but it's a temporary state status and i'm sure you know um with um with how everyone is tackling and everyone's trying to get vaccinated um you know we'll we'll make sure we get it under control so you know um basically our, our thoughts are with all the Victorians that's out there, uh, including you, Jazz, <laughs> 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 to uh, to hopefully restore some normality very, very soon. All right, guys, let's kick back into what we have this week. Um, so, first of all, uh, we've got some property news this week for everyone. Is we've got some numbers, start of the month. So, we always have some numbers that have been released uh, by CoreLogic. And, uh, you know, we've got the May results for 2021, uh, which is a very, very strong results. Overall, we're looking at on a nationwide 2.2% increase across the capital cities uh, and the combined capitals and combined regionals. So uh, that's for just that's for the month of May alone. So 2.2%, which is still very, very strong. And the outstanding performers, we're looking at Sydney at 3% for last month and Hobart at 3.2%. So Tassies are definitely going very, very gangbusters out there. Um, and Darwin at 2.7%. As well, so you know there's a few top performers that've been going uh, on, on that basis for, for the month. I don't know how sustainable this can be, though. I mean, to be honest, it's you know we're looking at the March data and it was absolutely shooting over the roof, um, and everyone's kind of saying, "Yeah, it needs to start cool down." Yes, it has cooled down a bit, but you know, looking at these figures, um, I don't think it's actually, uh, I don't think it's actually slowing down that much. In honesty, I don't know, gents, what are your thoughts?
1: So I find it interesting, and this is what John and I were discussing before the podcast, that if we were to be asked last year, which we did discuss on the podcast last year at some point, uh, which cities we will perform outperform, uh, Sydney surely wasn't on the list. It was, but it was more towards the bottom or somewhere in the middle. But looking at this uh, figure that we have got in front of us uh, for the month, It's amazing how well Sydney is performing. Um, The only thing that comes to mind is, is it expats? And plus the investors in Sydney who are seeing the opportunity with equity built up, uh, trying to rotate it back into the property market. I mean, we know that there was a genuine demand for first home buyers and the owner occupiers. um, But that is not driving these crazy numbers. I think now that the investors are... Jumping into the market. They are seeing the opportunity. They think the prices will move over the next year or two, uh, which ties into the guy, the bell story, which we'll discuss in a minute. I think all together kind of says that, yeah, Sydney is running hot for those reasons. But I am not a Sydney expert. I know you guys are up there. So, maybe John and you can comment a little bit more on it.
0: Yeah, I think John will probably be the best given the fact that uh you know your buyers agency is obviously helping a lot of expats. How you're um, how are you seeing on the ground at the moment in terms of the client demand? Yeah, it's
2: it's look it's it's busy, it's hot. Um so my take on the because I think exactly jazz why Sydney what, the three of us were asked at the beginning of the year to rank our capital cities and all of us mm. puts in myself included we all believed Sydney would go up, but we thought it would be the slowest growing capital city because it's the, the biggest, it's coming off the highest base. So to see Sydney outperforming at Perth, for example, or Brisbane is, is, is surprising. So here's my take on why I think that is. And I'm going to alienate 70% of our, our listeners. But the reason I think Sydney's outperforming is because I think that... There um, a couple of reasons. One is I think there's a bit of a flight to quality. And I think uh, Sydney is the premium market in Sydney. Uh, Melbourne would be doing better but for lockdowns too. So so Melbourne's been sort of artificially suppressed but we would we will and we would otherwise see a stronger Melbourne market. But I think there's there's a flight to quality and I think that's what Sydney represents. The analogy would be in a commodity boom market you get the big caps that move first and the explorers and the miners and the you know the explorers move later so small cap moves later. So this is this is what's happening. Sydney's big cap And let's say Perth is mid to small cap, if you were to use a stock market analogy. So Sydney's moving first, and it it won't run the hardest for the longest, but it'll run first. The second thing is that this is like an upgrader's market. This is one of the interesting things that came out of the core logic data is that um, the part of the market that's running the hottest is the upper quartile. And the lowest quartile is running the softest. So to give to put some numbers on that, the upper quartile, the most expensive part of the market is up about 9.5% for the quarter. So it's over 3% per month. The bottom quartile is running at just under half of that. So it's running at about four and a half four 4%. So the most expensive parts of the market suddenly became a lot more affordable with interest rate cuts. So you've got expensive parts of Sydney and Sydney itself is, is what's uh, driving the market. So it's an upgrader market. It's a, it's a premium boom. It's the upper quartile that's booming. Um, and I believe that all the markets will actually have their time, uh, particularly Melbourne, like Melbourne's, Melbourne's poised. But that's what I think it is. That's what I think it is. I think it's, it's like the big money moves into big cap first.
1: I think I, I really like the analogy that you had over there, John, um, comparing it to the small caps and the big caps, basically in whatever sector. Uh, uh, and I tend to agree. That is one of the reasons as well. Maybe it's it's starting it's starting with Sydney, and we always see Sydney is the uh, in charge or the or the leader in this space. Um, there are times when it's other other states like Perth, because it's a different, completely different market. But I think I kind of agree. Um, it's that's the reason. That's one of the main reasons it's 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 probably happening, but it won't be the outperformer over the long run.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So we we when we had our took our guesses at the beginning of the year, we were probably taking a five year view, unknowingly taking a five year view. So maybe over the five year period, Sydney will grow, but it will probably be the slowest grower, and Brisbane might be the fastest grower, but maybe not in the first year. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, but yeah, look, so, the, so you're saying the upper quartile basically, isn't mm. it? Ja, ja, oh, Sorry, John, is the one that's basically contributing mostly to that monthly growth. Um, as such, yeah. that's why we're seeing a 3% increase. Um, it's also funny to see from the quarter perspective, um, Sydney is 9.3%, which is well ahead of all the other capital cities at the moment. Um, on an annual basis, though, eleven point two percent, so it's not too bad. Um, but again, you know, there's more stellar performers like Darwin and Hobart, um, Canberra as well. Yeah, Canberra constantly getting missed, but uh, yeah, Canberra is also a strong performer at the moment. So, yeah, I think it. Um, I tend to agree that you know, with every cycle, Sydney seems to be the first one that's kind of leading the charge, followed by Melbourne, Brisbane, etc. You know, that's 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 a typical rule, and we're probably going to just see that this time. Um, no exceptions. So we'll
1: see. What What's amazing though is uh, Hobart or Tassie mm. just won't stop. It's been, it on, going. yeah, it's been on a tier for the last, I think now three or four years. It's just nonstop, which tells you that um, and Hobart is generally uh retiree's place, lifestyle kind of thing. Um, so it tells you that a lot of people are moving into that space and, uh, how long would how long will it sustain itself? Um, don't know but amazed with the story over there. I have to say
2: yeah that, that is surprising as well because um, Hobart was the best performer about two years ago and it was just it was just um, the market evening out the yield so you could get like 7% rental yields over there. money flooded in, the yields dropped, the prices went up and I, f- I figured that would just be like a two- year process. And then you'd have to wait another ten years for Hobart to move. Also, you know, I'm I'm exaggerating, but something like that. And I, I'm also surprised to see it's still going. So that's um, that's good for the Hobart investors.
0: Yes. Hobart's definitely benefiting from the lifestyle, right? So people who want to upgrade, who wants to, especially with COVID now, I think uh, it's 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 a lot more acceptable from uh, for employers for people to kind of work interstate, given how technology has now. Really took another took it to the next level. So it's not uncommon for, from what I'm hearing, for a lot of people requesting their employer to see whether they can actually work from remote regional areas, or even, you know, I think from Hobart perspective, you know, you could have potentially an employer that's situated in Sydney or Melbourne, but you're based in Hobart and just work remotely. On this is absolutely something that you need to attend from a corporate perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be the new norm moving forward. So I think. That's my understanding of what's contributing to that high spike, you know, 3.2% and the annual 16.5% of, uh, of, of growth return, which is absolutely stellar um, on, on why Hobart's now kind of leading the charge. I don't know about you guys. Sports.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, we have discussed that story in the past as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So I tend to agree. Remote work is going to obviously make people move into more uh, lifestyle locations or places where, They don't have to take too much debt like in Sydney or in Melbourne. So those factors will always be in play and uh, uh, along with that the boomer story of the people retiring. I think it makes sense, it's just surprising that it has lasted for this long. Uh, I would have thought by now the run will be over because Hobart has been in its own property cycle to some extent Uh, but it's becoming a part of the bigger picture again, where now the property prices in other states are moving, but Hobart is not slowing down, it's still performing and and leading, which is the surprising part. So.
2: The the tree change idea is a really interesting one as well. So we talked uh, late last year, that was a big hot topic that everyone's moving into the central coast and everyone's moving to regionals. And while it hasn't stopped, like that's still a theme, What we have seen over the last couple of months is that the capital cities are outperforming regional areas. So regionals are growing really, really quickly, but capitals are growing faster. Um, In the last month, uh, uh, the uh, capitals grew at 2.3% and uh, regionals grew at 2%, so marginal outperformance there. Um, So is it because they're seeing value in the cities or that the, the, the tree change thesis was overblown? Because we talked about we talked about how nice it is to live in regional areas, but how it's not fully equipped for in, within, from an infrastructure perspective, and you know, not not everyone can do it, even if they would like to.
1: It's it's anyone's guess, but seems like people uh, people are still keen. So yeah,
2: yes, yeah. that's awesome. the
0: only logical explanation I can think of, really. So anyway, so yeah, uh, the next thing I think it just comes down to. So we just uh, we we just had the RBA. June interest rate so cash rate announced um, and it still remained at 0.1% so just a very very quick one i think um not surprising for everyone to be honest given how the economy is currently performing how the general direction uh in terms of how how rba wants australia to lead in so it's it's not a surprise for pretty much all the economists uh in that in that regards Uh, I think one thing that I did read was that uh, they are still monitoring lending standards uh, in terms of that. So, so far, I think the understanding is the lending standard has not deteriorated at this point in time. They are still monitoring. um, Therefore, they believe uh, there's no need for any intervention as at this point in time, um, which also ties into our next piece of news. But I thought, is there anything else that you guys want to add on in terms of that cash rate announcement for June?
1: I think the only thing to say is really it was expected and uh, it's just going to be kind of fuel into the fire that people know that the rates aren't really going anywhere. So the property cycle story that we have been talking about, the cycle will be three to five year cycle, um, still is in play and uh, just space to watch. But uh, from an interest rates perspective, nothing to panic. Just don't see how they can increase the interest rates. when people are taking this much debt and plus economy is in shambles or struggling a little bit because of COVID. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, I I completely agree with both of you. I think think that, you know, the the message is that they're not going up and we'll come to that in more depth next. The only thing I'd do is maybe to bridge the, the RBA decision conversation and the property conversation is that there's a, there's a saying in the oil industry. Oh, here I go. Um, there's a say, saying in the oil industry that the cure for high prices is high prices and the cure for low prices is low prices. And what that means is if oil goes to $300 a barrel, every man and his dog will be drilling to find oil and all that new supply will eventually lower, um, lower the price of oil. The same as, same as uh, property. If the price of property doubles, everyone's going to want to sell their property or the well, not everyone, but but the, the amount of stock that comes on the market will will spike. That supply will push prices down. So in a, in a sense, markets sort themselves out and all booms will fizzle out. The only reason you would have a bust is if the RBA right, raise interest rates. If they leave the if they leave the rates where they are, the boom will fizzle out and it'll just reset at a higher price, but then it'll stop going up. Only, there'll only be a bust if they decide to tighten.
0: All right, well, speaking of RBA, I think there was another piece of news that was worth discussing, which is in relation to uh, Guy DeBell, who is the deputy governor of RBA. So um, I think on one of the conferences uh, this week, that um, there's been uh, being asked, uh, or he's being asked in relation to, um, I, and I quote, there's been a lot of attention on the impact of monetary policy measures on rising house prices. Can you, as in Guy Debell, can you discuss this impact? And Guy Bell's response, and again, I quote, house prices rise are part of the transmission of expansionary monetary policy to the economy that lower interest rates are contributing to rises in house prices, but rising house price help encourage home building and along with government grants, such as home builder policy, they are boosting activity and employment. So... I think that statement basically summarizes the fact that, uh, you know, RBA kind of acknowledges the fact that, yes, it is contributing and they are fine with the fact that the health prices will continue to rise because it's, as we touched on before, it's creating that wealth effect To people you know when your when your assets when your home when your house value actually goes up you feel a lot wealthier and therefore you are more inclined to spend more which is what exactly what rba wants everyone to do we need to spend to stimulate the economy so that wealth effect is very very important for everyone to be able to um you know to 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 help recover the economy as quickly as possible so on that basis yes you know the the housing price rises might be a consequence of such act but um, at the end of the day, RBA's primary objective is to keep the health and stability of the economy. Um, And as such, I think that's where where they're pivoting on that basis. So what are your thoughts, gents?
1: So I think this is the most interesting one and it ties back into most of the things that we said with the house Mm -hmm. prices that we are seeing increasing Mm -hmm. um, and also RBA leaving their interest rate on hold. What they're pretty clearly saying is one: they're accepting that yes, house prices are uh, part of the uh, the part of the reason house prices are increasing is the expansion in the monetary policy, rather than the actual high demand. Demand is there, but what's really causing, along with the demand, is the uh, monetary policy that has that has been eased, which is causing the prices to rise. Um, and uh, what they um, what they really want is basically uh, more construction. Uh, home building, which will uh, generate more jobs in the economy, uh, which ties back into the velo- velocity of money story that we were discussing last week, that will help generate, that will help increase the velocity of money. Um, how it will help increase the velocity of money is simple. If the house prices go up, what's the next, next thing normally people will do is they'll refinance their houses, they'll go and buy uh, fancy cars, or they'll go and buy other stuff. Uh, so all of that ties back into the same story. Um, from what Guy Dabell is saying is that even though the house prices are rising, they're not really concerned that there's going to be more defaults or it's going to lead the uh, economy in the wrong direction. Uh, they're happy with the prices to rise, essentially.
2: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I you nailed it at the end there. That they, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment that says. Uh, where people are saying, "Oh my God, there's inflation," and the answer to that is, "Yeah, that's they're getting what they want. They want inflation. This is, you know, we talk about tightening and loosening, but that's they're not the right terms. The right terms are inflating and disinflating. Uh, the lowering interest rates is just uh, inflationary policy. So they're getting exactly what they want. The reason they want inflation is because there's too much debt, and they need to um, reduce the real value of that debt." and so on. Now, I'm an old classical guy. I hate, I hate, I even hate the, the, the word stimulus, because there's, there's, there's no stimulus that the government can do. I'm reading this great book that I mentioned last week called the Bitcoin standard, because I'm getting right into it jazz. Don't worry, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to try to understand it. But there's a there's a chapter on uh, the history of economics or history of money. And he, he basically says that the problem started in the 1930s, when Keynes came along, and the government's um, and Keynes told governments exactly what they wanted to hear, which is that you can spend whatever you like, and that's good. But the, the point is that um, the the problem with Keynes is that it's there's too much aggregation. He's like total spending and total, uh, you know, total investing. But the point is, like, what investing and who's spending? Um, and the example he gives is, like, if, if um, someone spending to feed their family is the same as a government spending on, war spending is spending according to Keynes but actually one type of spending raises living standards and the other type of spending destroys living standards and we need and Keynesian economics doesn't care about that stuff all it cares about is savings bad spending good and and we've been in this debt cycle for what, 50 60 years now because um, we're, we're told that you know spending is good I would love to see much less spending. I think spending is the problem. Um, I think we need to uh, save and invest and that's how our living standards will go up eventually. But we need to go through some pain. So I, I, I hate low interest rates. I hate stimulus. I don't want all this spending. Uh, I want uh, I, I want our living standards to go up, but we need to go through some pain first. And unfortunately, I think that's ahead of us.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the important thing that you mentioned over there, John, uh, which I really liked is the, uh, you don't want, you want to inflate away your debt right you don't want house prices to drop cause then the debt will become expensive right you want your house prices to increase then the debt will become yeah. cheaper even though over the long run it's not good but that's how the system functions currently and you cannot change that system yep. in 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 a in a in in, in any easy shape or form so it's a it's a it's a bad thing, but it's a good thing. <laughs> so, uh,
2: well, it's so easy to play, right? So, it, it, anyone listening to this podcast, buy assets. I mean, right? That that's there's inflation. Buy assets, right? So, obviously, what you buy matters, and, and this is not advice. But we know they're going to do the wrong thing. So, so own own things of value, and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. You'll be on the right side of whatever happens.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, David, any thoughts?
0: I love the fact that uh, John's always been a contrarian. That's to say you're hating <laughs> low interest rates, you hate people spending. Yeah. You know, I yeah. can imagine all listeners are just shaking their heads and go, what the hell is this guy talking about? <laughs> anyway, there's there's certainly a logic behind your statement there, I can tell. So I,
1: I can promise John will leave. Planet Earth, when the interest rates go negative in Australia,
0: <laughs> <laughs> he will drift off. He will drift off, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gravity can't hold him anymore. <laughs> All right. Um. What else do we have? Let's have a look. Okay. So, uh, moving on from property. So, look, this is looking at uh, um, shares and commodities. So, the ASX, S&P, ASX two hundred is down point 0.1%. Or about 7.9 points, sitting still at a very high 7252. That's I think that's a very, very high point. Um, but at the moment, I think it's the it's the commodities that's leading, isn't it? So gold miners are leading the decline. Silver Lake resources have fallen 7.4% to 1.74. Ramius resources is down 5.8%. So it's all it's all commodity that's basically leading the decline at the moment. So what's um, I guess we'll we'll get we'll get John to talk a bit about what's going on with commodity spaces uh, at the moment
2: yeah look all i'd say is that the so commodities are a, a wild ride so if you, if you decide to get into the space you're going to hold on to your hat and um brace for impact right because there's there's going to be a wild, wild ride, ride now. <laughs> now now commodities are down today but at the beginning of the week they're the biggest performers like they they, they they moved massively monday tuesday and they're mm. just unwinding the gain so i suspect if you if you own your sort of you, you know mining shares you probably square by the end of the week um so so but you know what, what one commodity we, we don't talk about enough which is probably the most important one and certainly the the most liquid commodity is the the you know crude oil crude oil is just staggering it's closing in on $70 US dollars in, uh, a barrel at the moment and it wasn't it was about a year ago so what are we may uh, we're, we're June now so remember in April last year it went negative negative $30 yes, yes. And then it hovered around ten dollars for a while. So it's seventy dollars now. Um, we've talked a lot about, you know, you know, the sort of political um, importance of of oil. But yeah, uh, the oil's at seventy bucks, and I, and I think it's going higher too. I, I think I said about a year ago it'll go to zero, and then it'll go to two hundred dollars. So watch out, oil's oil's going to keep going up.
1: It's just I I I want to laugh uh, when we say that oil was. In negative. I know. The oil futures were in negative last year uh, around this time. Um, But I think the only other thing to add on top of what John said, um, I think the main reason, one of the other main reasons that the commodities are dragging the market down, I think is the uh, US currency, uh, because that's seen a little bit of an uptick in its value, uh, which I think is a short term rally. Uh, Just traders and speculators playing the markets. Uh, Once that settles down, uh, I think what we have discussed over the last few months with few months uh, with commodities is still intact. So this is just uh, a day-to-day change. Nothing nothing to panic over there. Uh, It's a space to watch. It's a really interesting space space to watch uh, with the uh, amount of activity that's going in the market in terms of the monetary expansion and all the other stuff. It's all going to play out. So either you can look at it on a daily basis, or you can look at it over medium to long term. I think medium to long term, it's fine. But yeah, yeah. for now, it's the U.S. currency that's causing it to uh, uh, drop a bit.
0: There's so many factors that basically, you know, will will, uh, will influence investor sentiments and and therefore causing these fluctuations. It's. To the point where, you know, like, John, what you're saying, like, uh, you know, the commodities were rising so much, having a good run on Monday, Tuesday, and then they're going to basically bottom out again. But it's back to square one by the end of the week. That that basically, that reminded me of Bitcoin to a degree. <laughs> yeah. The amount of fluctuations that's going on. And it just, I think it's because of the amount of money that's been going in and out, right? Like mm-hmm. Because it's such an abundance of money that's going to be going in and out. That's what's causing all these fluctuations. To a point where we thought originally that, uh, a bit more stability in terms of assets like commodities is not gonna have these type of behaviors, such fluctuations, but it's it's also starting to demonstrate such. So that's the only logical explanation
1: I can give. Uh, yeah. And with the, with the cryptocurrency or likes of Bitcoin and all, I think uh, we did touch on that last week when something goes up by 600 or 700% in uh, mm. a very short span of time, Uh, 50% correction is nothing in that space uh, because it's still up overall. Um, And the 50% and that asset, well, that perceived asset class uh, is known to boom and bust, right? So uh, when something is trying to form a base and uh, find a space in in this world of assets, uh, it's going to have all that crazy ups and downs, mm. so, and that's why we have always said never put more than one percent of your wealth into it. Um, because if you bought it at sixty thousand right now, um, you really don't—you're really not enjoying the coffee that you're drinking, probably. So,
0: unless you have to sell out, but uh, otherwise, you know, you, in six months' time it might be a very different story. I know. I think.
1: You know. <laughs> know what's
2: going to happen? Yeah, and you, you, can, you you can also be right and you can lose money. It's like. We, we can all probably agree that the future of money is, or the future of currency, sorry, is digital. But that doesn't mean you know what to buy. You could you, you could buy the the wrong coin or something like that. It's uh, It'd be like in the year 2000, um, be, having the foresight to understand that the internet's the future, but then buying pets.com. Right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you you can be right and still lose money and you can be right and still be wrong. So it's mm-hmm. there's so many tripwires out there. You've just got to... Uh, stick st- you know stick to what you know and and do, do your research
1: mm. and just to add one more thing with the all these inflationary assets commodities and all that stuff uh, with what we talked about the interest rates just before as long as the interest rates are um, not going anywhere and the currency itself it's going down over the long run even though it may spike temporarily up and down but it, 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 we may see temporary up and down, fluctuations, but as long as just those two things hold true, that the rates over the long run are not going anywhere and the currency is being debased, uh, whatever happens in the commodities sector in day to week, a month, doesn't really matter because it's a play for, I don't know, four to seven, ten years maybe, or this decade to some extent.
2: Yeah.
0: Hold a longer term investment perspective, in other words, isn't it? So yeah. short-term fluctuations might not necessarily mean because overall long term it is going to inflate. So okay. Um, all right. Well, I think we still got a couple more minutes. Uh guys, do you want to jump in and, and and talk about? I think there's one more piece of news that just got released earlier today, Jazz. I think you posted on there. Russia to exit from a dollar asset, from all dollar assets in its well fund, and to invest in euros, pound, gold, yuan instead. And that's coming from the Russian finance minister. Jess, would you like to share some light with uh, with our listeners on this one?
1: So I found this piece of news very interesting, right? We have been talking about the US dollar system, how the uh, money base, M2Money supply is just ever expanding. 2008, mm. it was under a trillion. Currently, it's, it's at more than 7 trillion. If, and if they keep going at that pace with Biden announcing all those Six trillion uh, budgets, if they get approved and all, uh, it that it all ties into the same story that the the countries uh, that are holding to U.S. dollar assets are starting to panic. And obviously, there's one is the political play over here between Russia and China, and the other is just whether how much more value has this U.S. currency, especially as a world currency, really? left. Uh, when you look at over the long run, it's been, I mean, uh, it's down by what 99.5% or something. Uh, so this is more for people who are holding on to cash US dollars. Mm-hmm. It's, it's time to think when when these kind of news start to float, uh, especially, especially from countries like Russia, and all, uh, you got to start thinking, how long do you want to hold on to the cash that you have basically
0: because those paper could become worthless one point at one point in time isn't it potentially well, potentially potentially
1: exactly well Ray alio it's forget us right we 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 are learning in this space uh we enjoy the finance world but likes of Ray alio the world's biggest hedge fund when they say cash is trash and next thing russia comes out and says all right, no more US dollar assets (laughs) because US itself is saying that our currency doesn't really have that value like it used to in the past. Um, It's more, I think it's just important for investors to know who hold on to US dollars as an investment.
2: Yeah, we pick on the US dollar here and for for good reasons, but I have uh, problems with all of the national currencies. So, um, you know, I I still think that the US dollar is the cleanest dirty shirt. Uh, and um, what, what I mean by that is like I wouldn't sell US dollars to get into euros because, you know, you, I don't want exposure to the uh, Portuguese or the uh, French banking system either. Like, I, I don't have any faith in that, nor do I want to um, lend money to the Chinese government either. So, like, I don't, I don't want uh, euros, US dollars or Chinese yuan, but if I had to choose one, it would be the US dollar. And this is uh, this is a, a problem. Um, then you move on to the real money, things like gold, and and that's that makes sense. The the Chinese, the uh, Russian uh, central bankers are some of the best in the world right now, and they are they're they're very um, sound money oriented. Uh, they run the, Russia actually doesn't run any budget deficits at the moment, and they're stockpiling gold, so they're actually being run really quite well mm-hmm. from that perspective. But um, the U.S. dollar is still king for the time being. Um, I think this is political. So how do you buy? How do you buy a reserve currency? You buy the treasury, which means you, usually the ten-year treasury. So if you're going to have a U.S. dollar uh, reserve, you've got to buy a U.S. treasury, which means you're lending to the U.S. government. I think Russia's just decided they don't want to lend to the U.S. government, so that the U.S. can. Uh, out, out invest in its military and so you know you know, you don't want to lend to your adversary so that they can uh, out invest you so I, I think it's i think it's political i don't think you'd want to hold china's yuan over u.s dollars um so i just think it's who who, who do they choose to lend to
1: well, you have started reading the Bitcoin standard anyways. So <laughs> That gives our listeners an indication where, where John's heading into
2: next. Uh, maybe bit, yeah, the, bit Bitcoin as a reserve. Mm.
1: Uh, but, but the fact that they're holding on to gold uh, or increasing the gold pile uh, says a lot, which all the central banks are doing. Mm. Uh, and that ties back into the commodity story that we were discussing before. Uh, that When you see central banks starting to increase uh, their gold reserves, at a rapid pace and then um, getting rid of the US currency it even though it's the cleanest shirt out of all the dirty ones out there it's still it's still dirty (laughs) love
0: that expression
2: (laughs) you know I don't think they can ever hold Bitcoin as a reserve because there's no Bitcoin debt market so they can that's why this is a point Jim Rickards makes Uh, he says that they, they can, Bitcoin can never be a reserve asset because you need a debt market for that. The same reason why China's yuan is not a, not a reserve asset. De- so that's yeah. it, that's interesting. I actually don't know enough about it to, to comment, but that, that's but he's a smart guy.
1: So the debt market, when 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 a currency is a new currency, or, or it's only well compared to all the other ones, it's only thirteen years old. So it's a it's the newest no. form of currency if it is a currency first of all. Um, all these markets whether it's the debt market or the derivatives and all that stuff that's that's a new financial world that needs to be built uh, yep. and that's not going to happen in a day uh, whether it will be on bitcoin or whether it will be on some other doggy coin no one knows <laughs> but uh, yes the point's fair but uh, rome was not built in a day so uh, we'll that's see great. yeah we'll, we'll we'll know it before we are dead i guess Waiting to
0: see when Jazz coins gonna come out, mate. <laughs> oh
1: yes, yeah. We will launch one for Spark Your Fire,
0: <laughs> special exclusive Jazz
1: Coin. <laughs> yeah. uh, just to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. A lot of the stuff that we talk um, could sometimes is speculation. Uh, so do your own research. Uh, don't over leverage. Stay safe. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next Friday. Cheers, they were John Jones.